0: Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk Well, we're in the High Priestly Prayer. We missed a miss last week. We've been in this for months now. Uh, uh, Jesus here now. We're at part three. Jesus praying for all believers, this astounding, fateful night—the the the night before his passion, where Jesus will be arrested—we have been in this since January, I think now, where we we started at the end of John 13, uh, through Judas's betrayal, and then Jesus with this uh, final discourse, and then eventually this stunning high priestly. Praying for the disciples and, and, and all believers. Uh, the the true Lord's Prayer. And as we come at the end of this prayer uh, that we've been in, uh, in, this unparalleled, I would say, unparalleled scripture. And I'm not the only one that said that. Every single preacher or writer who I've, I've heard or wrote has had the same reaction almost to this uh, section in this amazing prayer, it, it leaves them kind of uh, awestruck. He, he, I was listening to John MacArthur, he must have been, he, he, obviously he's been preaching, he's preached John 17 many times, but it was, it was one of his later messages and he's, he's still in awe and, <coughs> uh, of the, the depth and the weight and um, how much this prayer carries And a, uh, and I'm sure like me, as I keep mentioning, you've been greatly impacted by it. Uh, I would normally say, let's stand for, for the reading of the word, which we started doing, but you can sit uh, this morning. Uh, and at the last few times, uh, I, I spoke, uh, we've spoke about much of the unity of the unbelievers or the unity of believers, sorry. Uh, and it's not something that we often see taught now about the unity. Of believers, as we've mentioned, and Jesus is really at this part of the prayer. As we've mentioned the last few weeks, is is really drilling into this importance of unity and oneness of heart and spirit for believers. And and as I spoke a few weeks ago, and we've been mentioning, this is this is clearly a, an issue in the church today, which is all about, as I mentioned, individuals and individuality and uh, our own personal striving. Uh, man centered messages that's, that's co- that 's that, that force these people to go alone uh, and the devil loves the devil loves the pursuit of individuality he loves the pursuit of individuality uh, and the church and the modern church the pragmatic church is is definitely uh, leading the way in that stuff because Individuality distorts the gospel. It weakens it. When Christ prays the last section, he, he couldn't be more clear about his desire for oneness and unity. Uh, he, this is, this is the verses that we read from verse 20, 23, uh, over the last few weeks and I'm going to stick to them this morning I'll touch on verse 24 and then hopefully next week then we'll conclude this whole prayer section before we begin and, and it's, we're glad that we're staying in it because what comes next in John 18 as we move on is horrendous as Christ gets I know, is, is arrested and then subsequently taken to the cross um, this is John 17 20-23 I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word That they may all may be one as you. Father are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me. This is the purpose of oneness that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them and you have loved me. No here Christ prays that we will be made perfect and one. It's that made perfect and one. You know, there is a process. There is a sanctifying process. Uh, the word perfect here is uh, to, lie, uh, actually, to carry through, to accomplish, to complete, to bring the purpose to completion. Four times Christ repeats the importance of unity in this section of prayer. Four times. Uh, and we will never be perfected, fully sanctified, uh, you could say, without unity. You show me somebody who's disenfranchised and somebody who's out in a limb and somebody who's isolated. Uh somebody who is starting to come up with their own ideas and their own concepts. No, and I'll I'll show you a disunity, and that disunity will lead to a lack of Christ-likeness. You're never more like Christ. You're never more like Christ when you're in amongst a body of loving, faithful believers. You know, might you might think, oh well, I'm out here and I'm doing this thing. No, you're never more like Christ when you're amongst one another as a body of believers with one heart, one soul, one mind. Uh, And because of this obsession in the world, which seems to have been getting worse and worse in the last 10, 15 years, this obsession with individuality, this... My ear's just ringing there. This obsession with... Individuality, this this obsession with finding your own niche and your own ideas and your own identity—that's what the church teaches—and it it appeals to that selfish, self-centred desire and the human tendency to want to be in charge and want to be the captain of their own ship. And it's it's the polar opposite to everything that Jesus teaches. Uh, And and when I when I look back at my journey in church, it was. It was the driving force. In fact, it was the ultimate freedom. You know, the ultimate freedom wasn't it to be one in his one body and to be united and of harmony, a fellowship of the body of believers. On, I can honestly put my hand in heart and tell you that was never the pursuit. The pursuit was to get, the pursuit was individuality. The pursuit was to become as great as you can be without the ADN of the Without the help of MD, without the support of MD, without the, without the, the need for anybody to help you. That's modern psychology. You don't need MD. You're individual. You can, you can be the captain of your ship and learn to do it without other people. This is, this is, this is the message of the world. And this is the message that the, the church has seemed to embrace so much. Uh, But the truth is, and Christ knows this in his deep, heartfelt prayer. Four times he's mentioned it. That we'll never be fully perfected and sanctified without unity. This unity Christ prays is the same oneness as he and the Father have. It's at that level of togetherness. It's it's almost one. He and the Father are one. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. You've seen me. It's not this individuality. So... We see Christ's desire that the unity we have, the oneness we have, is pure. It's robust. It's as Burgess says, Anthony Burgess calls it: sincere hearts with a sincere heart. And that sincerity of heart. Listen, if you have a think about this, when you're on this own, your own ideas and trying to come up with your own thing, there's one thing that you don't have is a sincerity. There's a, a lack of sincerity. Eh, uh, and It requires not only for us to be sincere, okay? But here's another thing it requires us to be integrous. To have integrity. Something that I talk about a lot and I have done for the last, certainly the last couple of years about being integrous, being transparent with one another. There's nothing worse than someone really, you know, when you feel stoked, see when someone lies to you, it's like stealing, isn't it? They steal from you. You're just going, I know you've not said that and it creates this, what we would call a suspicion gap because there's a lack of sincerity, there's an exaggeration, there's a there's a fumbling, there's a a, a, a lie, no, and, and amongst it, uh, and and it kills, do you know what it kills? The bond of trust. The bond of trust. It truly kills the bond of trust. I wrote something last week uh, in a post and I, and I wrote this, uh, I, I don't know if it's word for word, but this is what I wrote. Trust is certain absolutes that are non-negotiable. Love, transparency and accountability. If one of these is absent or even sporadic, then no relationship will be robust or free-flowing. That's what I wrote. If that if there's certain transparency gone, no it's missing and you know it and 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 the more you have these bonds of deep meaningful relationships, the more you can spot it it's discernment you can spot when it's not genuine and the more genuine this you're round about and the more no and of course it does take time to build robust relationships but many many people are known don't have those robust relationships because there's a lack of transparency. There's a lack of honesty. There's a lack of truthfulness. There's a, And therefore it creates this whole lack of freedom amongst believers. Uh, and if one of them is absent or even sporadic, you know, sometimes we can tell wee white lies and we think it's not affecting. Somebody said something to me the other day, a brother in Christ. This was a few weeks ago and he said something. And it was only a small thing. But I knew they weren't telling the truth. They, they said after it. You know what, I don't know why I said that. I says, I don't know why you said it either. I says, but it wasn't helpful. And, and, and I, I spoke to my brother in Christ and I says to him, I says, we ought to care about each other more. We ought to care about each other more, not a lie like that. Even if it's only a wee white lie or a wee thing. You know what it's like maybe with your child or your son or daughter and they just withhold stuff and you just go, you know what, I've got a trust issue here now. There's, there's something missing here. I'm going to have to keep my eye on you about a lot. I'm going to have to keep my eye on you because I'm not sure that you're going to do the right thing. And the father never had to. The father not, never had to look upon Christ when he was walking there. Going, oh, I'm not sure if he's doing the right thing there. I'm mm, not sure. He said that and he done that. He said that and he never done that. Somehow, we do that with relationships, no realizing this has got a shocking effect on relationships. This has got a shock, shocking effect on the unity and bond, a oneness, a fellowship. Any relationship that lacks these will, will cause the union to be weakened. That's why Satan's a father. He lies. He loves you to lie. He loves you to withhold information. He loves you to be no transparent to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's why it was very important that as I stood up here this morning that I just, I spoke clearly about what's no political because we end up getting caught up in these things. And before you know it, we get into the the discrepancies and the nitty-gritty things that don't matter. That don't really matter. We might have different opinions about some things, and that is absolutely fine. But see, the fundamentals, they're the things that matter. And what, what I shared this morning as I was studying the Word, and I really... Felt compelled through the Holy Spirit as he, as I was going to lead into another thing that you know I had this almost cellar moment, and I'm so grateful because because I've I've had a head cold and I've not been feeling great. The concentration of reading the words not been as as good as it could have been, uh, but thank goodness for 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 His grace through the Holy Spirit has, has kept me pinpointed into something as as I share here. Um, trust is built in these things, people. Trust is easily built, don't you think? How quick is trust broken when there's a lack of transparency and honesty? It's like that, isn't it? It's just gone so quickly. And there is no unity. There is no unity without complete trust. And therefore, let me just say this. Therefore, this is why as believers that we must be careful about what we stand in the similar ground on. See, see what happens is, as the, the work becomes extensive, like it did with Nehemiah, as the work becomes extensive, there's different fragments start to come in. If you look at the church today, it becomes, it becomes, it's becoming all things to all men in all the wrong ways. And what happens is you've got parties here and people that's into this here and people that's into this here. And what happens is, is the message becomes watered down and fragmented as the church, nobody knows what the church stands on anymore. Nobody knows what the church stands on. I stand here unashamedly in front of you this morning and say, I'm a sinner who's been saved by grace and I resolve to know nothing and I'm amongst you except Christ and I'm crucified. Nothing else matters. That's it. That is it. That's what the apostles and them who bring the word, that's what they stood up. They had millions of distractions as well. They had millions of distractions. They had loads of fragmented things coming on. And they talk about them, which we will. But they never allowed what was going on in the world, and they never allowed what was going on in the political arena, and they never was going to allow what was going on in the certain cultures and environments, to start to hijack that for a, to have a, a louder message than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And neither should we. Neither should we. I wrote a post last week and I said this. If you're spending more time studying anything other than God's word, you're escaping. You're escaping. It's escapism. And it's not only just escapism. It's the trick of the enemy to take you away from the only thing that he can't touch. Of course, Christ's prayers are made perfect. We know that. So yes, it's a work in progress in order for unity. But truth, to stand in the truth is... It's the strongest relationships that we can have. We can have different opinions about this and that, and your relationship won't be strong. See, you can have, you can have different political agendas here and there, and your relationship won't be strong. That's where you that's what that's where the devil is going to go. There's a wee weakness there. There's a, there's a weakness there. He, he, he's a conservative and he's a liberal. I know. He's, he's this and he's that. He's a, he's got this belief and he's got that. He's passionate about this and he's passionate about that. And that's okay to have different passions. And they're the things that will fragment us. They're the things, they're the things that will cause disunity, they're the things that will weaken the body. And the devil loves where there's a lack of that, a lack of oneness. Because it instantly weakens the strength and the bond of unity. What causes these fractions? You could ask? Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Carnal desires. A pursuit of one's own wants. How can we have the same message? How can we have the same desires if we've got different goals? Well, I've got a different goal. This is the modern church has different goals. We're, we're here for different things. Some of these are here for that. Some of these are here for that. Some of these are here for that. No, in the early church, there was here, not a, There was no other agenda. Remember what Judas spoke about in John 12? Let's go to this quickly. John 12, one <coughs> Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead. Whom he had raised from the dead. There they made to him a supper and Martha served with Lazarus. Was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, spike yard. We spoke about that afore, and how much that cost. It was It was years and years wages. Anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. The house was filled with the fragrance of oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, I love that they name him here. I just love that he's named. That Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a faith. And he had the money box and he used it to take what was and put in it. Judas couldn't care less about the gospel message of Jesus. Could not care less about this woman who was overcome by Christ's love for her. Could not care less. Could not care less about the, sm- the aroma, if you want to call it. I don't want to add stuff that's not here. About the aroma that was in the room. There were a horrible smell in the room where Judas was. And Judas couldn't care less. he wasn't even celebrating somebody's blessing. He couldn't celebrate somebody's blessing because his own selfish agenda. You see that in church, I can't celebrate somebody what somebody's doing because of my own selfish agenda, my own my own desires, my own pursuit. All he cared about was the money that he thought that he would get. When the money get divvied up at the end when Jesus died or whatever was going on. He certainly didn't care for the woman. That's for sure. And he certainly cared even less for Christ. But he did care about the money. He wasn't interested in oneness or unity or celebrating. All he could think about was his own loss and his own hardship. You ever been in that place? No, have you ever been in that place where there's a oneness and there's a unity and there's a love? You know, I remember very early on in my my walk with Christ, the level of depraved, the 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 resentments, the, the the bitterness, the jealousy I had, the the lack of being able to celebrate my brothers and sisters in Christ because I had all oh, this warped sense of rejection and abandonment going on in my life that I couldn't celebrate my brothers and sisters because. Somehow it was weakening me. And see, when you look at it for what it really is, it's just a lack of Christ. You can call it what you want. It's just a lack of Jesus in your life. It's just a, a lack of knowing what he's done for you. It's a lack of knowing who you really are. And this room is filled with fragrant oil. It's filled with what beauty, love. You've got Lazarus sitting. He's, he's just been raised for the dead. I mean, they, they cannot believe what's happening. You've got Mary and Martha serving. They're sitting back in the house. You've got this woman bringing her life savings and washing Jesus' feet. And Jesus is sitting back and allowing her to do this. And this room was filled with love and togetherness and a sense of celebration. But not Judas. He's got too much of his own agenda and his own issues to celebrate what's going on. You know, I've been in church long enough, people, and I've seen the word getting preached and it being illuminated in the room and people being excited. And yet you turn around and there's somebody there and they're just not happy. They're just no happy. And you just think, you know what? There's a real lack of unity there. There's a real lack of unity. There's a real lack of celebrating each other. And I'm, I'm so grateful that slowly but surely that's eradicated for your church. The church of Jesus Christ. It should be eradicated. It's been slowly but surely eradicated for this place. I'm so grateful it's eradicated here. And when it is eradicated, I'll tell you what I thought about when I was driving this morning. I was thinking about my brothers and sisters in Christ up in Dundee. And I long, and, and it's only been over a week, I know. And I long to see them. And I long to hug them, and I long to be with my brother Billy, and Audrey, and my sisters in Christ, and great, I just long just to be with them, and just be filled with that aroma, and that room where there's no more competing, and none of that stuff. I got to see Anna this week, eh, and I love I love the kids, and because I've no got to see them, and. You no, know, we were just hugging, I'm on the couch, just giving her a hug, and I just think, that's what it should be like, just this longing, this longing to be as one. This is the, it's, it's, it's that prayer that Christ is praying, that love you one another. Here was people totally devoted to Jesus, totally devoted to Christ. And Judas could not bring himself to celebrate it because he's obsessed with his own loss. What's in it for me? How many of you bring a bad aroma to things due to your selfish, self-centered attitude? You can't celebrate the work of Christ in others due to your own loss. You see this prayed out again, didn't you? You see this prayed out in John 15. Hey, Sorry, Luke 15, you know the story of the prodigal. Oh, oh, it's a parable. I heard somebody writing something the other day, and it was it was so far off, it was frightening. It was it was really frightening, and it was all about the the other brother and you should go somewhere else. And oh, it was just it was nonsense. But we know the story of the older brother. The older brother won't celebrate and join in and the younger brother coming home who's made a decision to head back to the father's house and be one of his hired servants and the older brother hears them partying and dancing eh? and he won't come in and celebrate he won't come in and celebrate his brother's return because of his own selfishness he can't unite with his brother which shows something it shows that what he was doing for the father was never for the father See, if you can't celebrate your brother when he's celebrated by the father, it's because you were never doing what you were doing for the father in the first place. Uh, again, as I look back at my young journey in church and much of the stuff I've done, this, thank God for the grace of God sanctifying my life. And I say this because he is in a This prayer is a sanctifying prayer. And I remember... Not being able to celebrate other brothers in Christ because I thought I was going to miss out on my call, because they were getting a turn and I wasn't getting a turn, and I was the world's greatest preacher that they've never heard, and I can't celebrate my brother for that. Well, he was being celebrated, and I couldn't celebrate. That's something that, and you look at it that, and you 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 realise why am I not celebrating my brother? You know why? Because I don't even understand the level of grace in which I've received myself. Luke 15, 25, 32. We'll read it briefly. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, and wouldn't he go on? He was angry. I mean, see the things you get angry at in your own barrison. Imagine getting angry. Think about it. Imagine getting angry about somebody getting the love of the father who doesn't deserve it the same as you don't. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. I mean, I love, I love the heart of the father here. He didn't come out and give him a bad attitude. He pleaded with him, saying, "Let's celebrate." So he answered and said to his father, lo, there are many years I have been saying, serving you. See that. I've never transgressed your commandments. I've been the one that's making all the effort. I've been the one that's been doing it. I've always turned up. I've always been here. I've always done this. You never gave me a goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son, as soon as this son of yours, you see that? You see that? As soon as this son of yours, no, my brother. You see how how he separated that? He's no even longer his brother anymore. He's a competitor. He's no longer a brother in Christ anymore. He's no longer his blood, but he's nothing to him. You've devoured uh, your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And I, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And the brother can't celebrate because he's motives were not he serve the father in love, but to gain acceptance and approval by performance was the problem. And if you don't know you've truly been saved by grace, you will struggle with others who are received for doing way less than you. It was by grace you were saved, what? Not by works that what you wouldn't boast. Ephesians 2. Is that not the case that we actually forgot that there is nothing in us good except which is in Christ? Is that no is that not the whole point of have lost the whole essence of the gospel? <laughs> is our gratitude no lost? When we lose the whole essence that we were saved where we were dead in our sins and trespasses? Is that no really at the essence and the core of our bitterness? Is that the case which is then that what we do in the flesh can no lead to any goodness? How can we do anything in the flesh that would lead to goodness when there's what? There's nothing in us good except which is in Christ yet we still think we can perform. We still think we can be individually brilliant. No, we're ambassadors of Christ. The same Christ that rescued you as a sinner It's the same Christ who's sown grace and mercy to others. Yet due to this battle of the fittest, claiming your blessing, pursuit of success, We turn God's house into some competitive pursuit. Like some spiritual Olympics. Pursuing selfish ambition. Let me just add, when you're in your work or with your family, you're really representing me. You understand? When you're with your family, when you're in your workplace, you're representing me as a brother and sister in Christ. That's shocking, isn't it? Does that know a bit scary? So let me ask you a question. How did you go on this week? Did you represent your brothers and sisters in Christ well? Did you represent me well? Did you represent me as if you were one with me? Likewise, did I represent you as if I was one with you in my pursuit this week? See, each of us individually represent us all. See, this is, the, this is the opposite of what the world teaches. We are one in Christ. Every believer represents every believer in every sphere and atmosphere and hemisphere and environment, what they are in. Everything few things hinder the advance of the kingdom more than a believer taking his armor off. When he's in environments that he's not running about brothers and sisters in Christ. So you get into your work environment, which is very worldly and maybe very eh, carnal, and you get in there, and all of a sudden, hey, you've not got the same attitude. You've not got the same intensity. You don't have the same... Mindset, you don't even have the same language. You go into your workplace, you're surrounded by heathens who are mostly no very nice to you. So you change. You know, you don't have a mindset of oneness. See, this is the Christ prayer here. He's praying wherever we are, we're one. We have this Christ likeness, sameness wherever we are. So here you are in your workplace and I bet you don't think I'm representing I'm representing my sister in Christ here. I'm representing Pastor Mark here. Pastor Mark, I'm representing you. I'm on a roof. I'm talking to a woman. My integrity's is out the window. I don't have the same grace or Love for compassion. And what should be in our mind is this oneness. I represent every believer. But that's not what you're thinking, is it? That's not what you're thinking. You're just thinking, my flesh is rising up here. I just want to just go mental. Or I want to correct him. Or I want to cheat. Or I want to lie. Or I want to eat. Because you're not in an environment that's not surrounded by your sisters and brothers in Christ. But Christ prays that when we are there, we would be one. And the world would know that we are one. That you just sound the exact same as Christ there, as there is there. So it should matter not what environment you're in. We're always representing Christ. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah, we're not there yet. But this is the prayer. Well, in your workplace, in your home? What about around difficult people? What about around your own kids? What about family? What about family who's not saved? You're running about families who's not saved. How Christ-like. Are you representing me? How well are you representing me? If I was there as a fly in the wall, would you be representing my Christianity well? Would you be representing my Christ well? Would you be would you be presenting them in a bad way? Have you got issues with your family where you don't have any healthy separation? All of a sudden Christ out the window and now you're a bad representation and you think that's not going an effect? How how would you live differently if every step you took was representing every believer? What would you say, what would you do, what would you do in your private time? It's a game changer, isn't it? This is this is the oneness. How do you all fear in these things? Is it a wonder it's known in those environments that we see at least change? Is it not a wonder that in those environments is at least Christ-like? The environments where where you're getting your familiar, where you're getting your 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 carnal family, and it doesn't represent Christ very well, because all of a sudden you change, or you have no freedom for them. We all represent Christ in every environment we're in. And that means we represent each other. It's some of the most dysfunctional relationships that are amongst your own family. Where does so much strife come from in the church? Is it not among families who seem to forget that we are now all one in Christ? Trust me, I've put out many, many fires where I've had families more united against Christ than they have been for their brothers and sisters in Christ. You go to any church today that's no standing in God's word and challenging and honouring communion in the right way, and you're going to see posses of mafia families thinking that they can railroad brothers and sisters in Christ. As if somehow that bond that they have, that blood bond is somehow greater than the bondy fellowship of believers and it's not. This is why Christ says my brothers or sisters are them who do the will of the Father. He's even saying it himself. He's, he's like, we're all one. The devil loves to get in among families because he knows many of real weakness when it comes here. Because it tends to be the place where you'll least act like Christ. Isn't it? Listen, it's in the areas we are not surrounded by our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need our greatest faith. That's really what it tells us, doesn't it? It's where I need my greatest faith. It's where I need to be most prayed up. It's where I need to be truly ready as I get into my workplace or into the marketplace or into environments or into my family who are no saved. That I need to be full of faith in those places. This oneness of heart and spirit must be something we desire. When Jesus says, greater things you will do because what? I go to the Father. <laughs> well, you, the charismatics believe it means greater miracles and greater manifestations. It's not. It's just, it's greater souls won. As we bring the gospel message. In Acts when believers were scattered through persecution, do you know what it caused? The gospel to be taken into new areas and more people want for Christ. It seems to be in the modern church at times when people get scattered and persecution comes, the gospel gets weaker. It's the opposite. It seems to just peter out. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and I've been reading this as I've been preparing and felt that through the Spirit led us to this. It's wonderful. No, and I just think that maybe when we finish John, maybe, who knows, I keep changing. Maybe when we finish John, that just because of my love for Paul and his writings, I, I don't know, maybe we'll go back in and I think we'll maybe get through Corinthians because it's, it's so timely. It's, the whole word's timely, but Corinthians, it's just astounding. And I love this. Paul's writing to the early church, he's writing to the church in Corinth. And at the time, the church in Corinth, I'm thinking into detail here as time goes, you know, they, they, they have, they have heard the gospel, but what's happened is they've started to have individuals who are now coming up with other ideas. And it's not necessarily all bad ideas. Would you hear with Paul, and it's, the, the verse before is a word of warning, but I'll get to it in a minute. Uh, but let me just read for verse 15 here. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. There is a problem in the church people. We've got loads of people instructing and all sorts of stuff, but no many fathers. We have loads of people, believers, expertise in this area, and little expertise in this area, and smart in this area, and want to share their knowledge in this area. But no fathers. No fathers who keep the main thing, the main thing. As, As the senior pastor of this house, I'm the father, one of the fathers in this house. And my purpose is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And when we start losing that in the church, we are in trouble. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And then he goes on and says, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you. I love that he sends Timothy to the church in Corinth. Because he does this send a smart guy who knows everything about everything. He sends a guy who knows the gospel. He sends a young guy who knows to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the gospel. He knows he's a man after his own heart. He knows that Timothy is young. He knows that he knows that Timothy doesn't have a wealth of experience in every area of life. He didn't say, I'm sending you the most experienced guy who knows all the political agenda. I'm going to send a latest guy who knows all the lowdown and lockdown. I'm going to send a latest guy who's a genius when it comes to medical vaccines. No, he sends somebody who knows the gospel because that's the problem. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remain. What's he want? what's he there to do? I will remind you of the ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not, and I will know not the word of those, listen this, who are puffed up, by the power. Paul is no saying that all these instructors are bad. Okay, just hear me here. However, they're not all spiritual fathers. And like one of the great dangers that's happening in the modern church and it happens when things start to happen in the world and there's persecution comes and there's fractions come and there's a loads of political tyranny and all sorts of stuff is, is what starts to happen is st- experts start to rise up all around the church they're rising up all around the world, did not they? But they start rising up in the church because they've got somebody who's studying this and somebody who wants to learn this and somebody who wants to learn this. And the point when Paul was talking to these people, these are no fathers. These were these would have been servants and hired hands at the time. They would be helping raising the kids and they would be doing some practical things and helpful things but they're no the spiritual fathers. They're teaching certain things, but they're no keeping the main thing, the main thing. And what was happening is, as Paul says, what was happening is, as they start to learn knowledge and get stuff. It puffs them up. And before they know it, that message starts to take precedent over the gospel. This is why in church today, we're seeing entrepreneurs sharing for 50 minutes nonsense about how to make money. We don't care. I know I sound aggressive, but I'm so passionate about this. I'm talking here as a father of the house to not get hijacked because they don't have a pastoral bone in their body. They don't care about the congregation. They think they care about the congregation, but they care about the knowledge that they've got. And then you've raising up these other people, how, how they can learn this and some fitness guy and some this, and all these things are good in their place. But what happens is that they get so caught up in the message. These gurus, I'm taking my message around the world. I don't give a rip what message you're taking around the world. You ain't bringing it here. And you shouldn't be bringing it anywhere around the world. It's the gospel message that we need in the world. Know you're taking what you've learned for your study. Yes, yes, I've been bottling it up. There were no old spiritual fathers. Some were helpers teaching simple things. And this is what happens in church. You get these people, that, they become obsessed with the, the, the niche markets. All they want to teach is this little thing and this little thing and this little thing. Try to tell me that Apostle Paul didn't have enough knowledge to teach. He could have skilled every one of them in almost everything. He was learnt, sat under the greatest leaders, but he resolved what? He resolved to know nothing when he was amongst them except what? Christ and him crucified. And the danger, the danger people is, is the more voices we start getting. See, Paul's no, Paul's no thinking there. Oh, I'm going to sound like a control freak here. I'm going to sound like a control freak here. I'm going to sound that people can't listen to other people. I'm going to sound like, oh, he's sending his own man. You know, we've got that sick, sick, sick attitude in church. Where somebody would speak and you go, Oh uh, he's he's just like him. He's just like him. He's he's speaking the same message. That's how f- that's how sick the church gets. Callum is my spiritual son. He's my spiritual son. Um, but um, but we're no no equal because he teaches me much, much as well. But from longevity, he's my spiritual son. And when he stands on this platform, he's representing Christ. He's not representing me. But yet, sometimes we go, oh, I, you know, I used to, we used to get hate mail. We used to go, you know what, Callum was in touch with me, Pastor Mark's henchman. Did you think that's what Paul was thinking about with Timothy? Really? Really? No, it's the message of the gospel we're bringing. But this is what happens in the church because of this individuality. Because we don't longer follow that. Because we think we're following man. We're not following man. Paul at no point is thinking there, oh, look, I'm getting a bit controlling here. The Corinthian guys who have all got good messages here. I don't really, you know what, I better shut them down. He's not saying that. But he does know the condition of the human nature, and he understands that when you've got an expert in the field he's set in certain areas, and if they don't keep the main thing, the main thing, it takes precedent. There is nobody going to be standing in this platform who's, no, who's sharing anything other than the gospel. That's what they're going to share on this platform. What we talk about off the platform, having opinions off the platform, that's absolutely fine. No, that doesn't mean to say that we'll know of people who understand stuff and have a uh, uh, knowledge of something. That's fine. But see when that starts taking precedent, starts to puff people up. And then you forget that what you are, you're not in Christ anymore. You're no longer in Christ anymore. You're, you're somehow, you know, your identity's in a certain bit of knowledge that you know about something. One of the things that saddens me at the moment is in, in this plight of tyranny that why some people are thinking, and this is why they need to be planted in church, Because what ends up happening is they start fighting a plight that's beyond the gospel. We don't mind standing in the truth and fighting against tyranny, but never above the gospel. And this is what happens, we end up with little pockets of people who can give advice in little matters. Creating we before you know it, that creates division. Because they're getting little pockets of advice about little matters here and there. And we're going. Where's your common goal? If I'm having more conversations with you about the government than I'm about the government who's upon his shoulders, the great counsellor, we have got trouble. We are in trouble. My commonality with you is my relationship with Christ. My commonality with you is not my political agenda. And the devil loves that. Some want to teach their own expertise. Some from their own wisdom, and this is what Paul's warning. I was reading yesterday how one of my past associates is starting another new tribe. Does that not just go like that? Another new tribe. I don't know why you just don't tell the truth and just actually say, I'm looking for more subscribers to make another means of money. I'm starting another new tribe group where he's further separating himself from body of believers. He won't see it that way. He won't see it that way, but that's exactly what he's doing. As we have these individuals now puffed up. He thinks it's a new idea. Paul talked to Conference Church about it 2,000 years ago. Wake up. (laughs) Yes, we need instructions for many people. And a multitude of counselors, men wage war. Proverbs 24, 6. However, although we can and must surround ourselves with sound advice, we have to. And I think the church has shut off a bit for that as well. They've went the other way. We must note that Paul says there are few fathers. There are few fathers. And as the church continues to fight, or many don't fight, We're losing, keeping the main thing, the main thing. One of the problems is, is that, just briefly, we have to be careful for us who are fighting in all angles. That, because they're them that's thinking they're keeping the main thing, the main thing, and saying nothing. That's no right either. You think you're keeping the main thing and you keep the gospel, the gospel, and you're ignoring the monster that's there. That's no right either. church has got lots of experts. In fact, the last 10 years we've seen them rising up. Entrepreneurs, gurus, mind control, sleep apnea coaches. This is in church. This is in church. Puffing people up. Expert guitarists, expert pianists, expert this, expert that. But many of them then fall into the trap of becoming obsessed with their talent. It's the problem. One of the saddest sights in church is that the, that is the lonely self-absorbed evangelist. Yeah? Is it not? The lonely self-absorbed evangelist who is accountable to no one and nothing. going out alone. With his own message. Which always, nearly always gets distorted. The evangelistic message gets distorted somehow as they bring something. That's what happens. Jesus prays that we may be one and the world will believe through them that you sent me. How will the world know that? How will the world know that when we see Christ so poorly represented? <coughs> and in ways that don't represent the apostles in their message. Buffer. I'm grateful for the experts and the people that are listening. I'm grateful for it. And in the last 18 months, I've had to research and listen to a lot of things and I'm grateful for it as well. But as a father of the house, I hear it stand unashamedly in front of you this morning and say, we preach Christ and Him crucified and that is your goal. And if you needed to be reminded about it, you can be reminded this morning again. Because when you lose that, you've got nothing. Never has there been a greater attack in the simplicity of the gospel message. Never has there been a greater attack and reminds the believers, even them who love to stand in truth. You may be thinking, well, I've got a lot in common with the unbeliever who seems to see the truth and the facts. You've got a lot not in common with them, let me tell you. Because they're not looking for freedom in Christ. And you're not going to give them freedom in Christ by letting them know what's right and what's wrong in the political agenda. The political agenda never set captors free. It never set you free. Never has man tried to turn the gospel so much into a man-centre plight. And the church is either ignoring the truth that's out there, which is shocking, through their weakness. Or they're getting hijacked like the people in the church in Corinth who seem to have this new message. Never has there been so much in the last 10 years. In the last 18 months, it seems the government have been allowed into most churches, don't you think? The government's allowed to dictate. People say, well, they're no, they're not dictating the message. They're not dictating the message, are they not? Never has love your neighbour been so badly abused. They're deciding when you can worship and when you can't worship. So we're not saying we shouldn't stand up for that. When I mean, churches go, well, that's okay. Maybe in the future you're not going to get any church without a vaccine passport or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised most of the churches will embrace that. Church is shutting. Thinking that they, there's no been an attack on the church. Yes, there is. But let's just say... Our fight against that stuff is so that we can stand in the word and truth and preach the gospel. No get hijacked way and go away in another plight or somehow no we're medical experts. Because being ill is no political. They're asking how to meet and how we don't meet. And he'll say, they've not asked us to change the message. I just need to look through your posts and I'll let you see how much they've changed your message. The church has changed what love of your neighbors as that's for sure. And what's happening is, in the church, those other voices have been allowed to enter the pulpit. And they've been allowed to enter the pews. And they're starting to call what is. And they're starting to dictate what grace is. And they're starting to dictate what mercy is. And they're starting to dictate what love is. And what inclusion is. And it's a total attack on the gospel message of grace. We all need to learn stuff. But we're the church. We have a mission, church. We have a mission. Yes, we need to call out lies and conflict and messages. Yes. But we must do so from one who stands in Christ. From the purpose of what? From the purpose of the gospel. Some of these are calling out stuff and you're thinking, what's the purpose of that? That's not even the purpose of the gospel in which you're calling that out. You're calling out truth for truth's sake. How about truth for Christ's sake? Listen, the devil couldn't care less whether we spend all our time marching for freedom, passports. He could not care less. You might care and that's okay that you care and you might want to educate people as part of this learning and that's good. And as important as they are, we have to be careful that we don't allow what happened to the Corinthian church is that somehow we lost the message. Listen again to the words of Paul. Listen again, coming from the back of what I've said, and we'll start for the verse before it, because it's a warning. I do not write the I, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. It's a warning. For though you may have ten thousand instructors in Christ, that you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. He knows that's the only thing that preserves the gospel and the message. For this reason I have sent Timothy. For this reason I've sent Timothy. People. For this reason. I'm no sending the next political expert to you. For this reason. I'm no sending the next scientist who's got low down in figures. Okay? For this reason. I ain't sending the next update. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent you, Timothy, who is my beloved and what son? What type of son? Faithful son. Son in the Lord To will what? He will remind, what's he reminding them of? Remind them of your ways in Christ. As I teach everyone in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming. I think I'm not coming. Do you think the gospel message is going away? When not it amazing as brothers and sisters in Christ and we're getting caught up with other stuff that one of you, a brother and sister in Christ, steps in and say, can I remind you the gospel? Can I remind you that in amongst political unrest? Can I remind you that in amongst fighting campaigns? Can I remind you that as you're thinking about black lives matter, white lives matter, all lives matter, this lives matter? Who? Can-? Seriously. He's letting them know that they need to watch They're no-losing-the-very-purpose the gospel message. He warns at them that given instruction in areas that are getting puffed up, their message has become greater than the unity of the church. They're acting as if Paul's message no longer carries weight. Some of you are feeling like, you're like, yeah, but we're going to talk about this, yeah, but we're going to talk about this. And that's right. We have, but as a spiritual father in this house, we're just having a cellar moment. We're just realigning again, and remembering why we're here, why we love each other, why why we exist. They would love. We would love to. I don't have unity with you. I don't love. I don't love. You know, obviously speaking to Fraser us. My dear, dear brother in Christ. And what unites me with him is a love of the word. That's what unites me with my brother. I love him for the word. I love a relationship with the word. That's what I love. It's not my relationship with him that we see the lies. It's not the relationship that I have with him that I see that we're. we're where we, we see the the agenda with the numbers and the vax and the unvax and the passports. That's 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 that might be something we have in common. That might be a truth that we see. But it doesn't bind us. It doesn't it doesn't elevate us. It doesn't elevate Christ. They're acting as if Paul's message no longer carries weight. As if it isn't coming back. I'm as if he's not coming back. Paul's desperate. Well, I'll, I'll be back. This message, I'm sending Paul. I'm sending Timothy. He reminds you of the message. It's as if what they teach now is all that matters. And this is a problem in the church. We start to teach a new thing. It's as if something else matters. It doesn't Listen, my brothers and sisters in Christ, as I wrap up. As a father of the house here, I tell you that it's vital in times where there are much wars being fought for freedom and truth and facts and justice and political unrest. And many experts have given advice and shared knowledge and we're not against it. We must firstly be wary of our own puffed up knowledge and our own message that at times takes over the gospel. But more than that, we must never, never allow certain aspects of your fight to become bigger. To become more important, Paul, though for Saint Timothy, as one of an expert in the field of battle, or a field of the expert of culture. But somebody brought the kingdom culture. Somebody echoed the message that happened. Remember with the lean on our hands. Don't despise your youth. To lean on your hands when you received Christ. We have to resolve to know nothing. It's hard. It's hard when you're a truth teller. We have to remember that what unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ is the glory of Christ. We have to be determined, Crenel. Crano, to be determined to resolve, to fully examine truth, to be standing as one, standing in trial, defending the gospel. Paul is determined; he's resolved to not allow any other truth or knowledge to overbear on the gospel. That's what the world needs for believers, people. Some pro jab, some anti jab. Pro government, anti government. Mass work, mass don't. Pro black lives matter and social justice. Some see the dangers. What we stand on above all is the word. It's what united us, it's why we came, it's why we keep coming back here. And we must be disciplined, people. And determined not to allow our puffed up pride to get in the way. When knowledge takes over, pastoral care goes out the wonder. And as we start to lose sight of the gospel and Christ needs his work. You know what we're won because of? Because of what Christ did. Let me close with this verse, I will close and times went. We'll continue next week in this verse. However, this tells us more than anything during Christ. Do you know what? I've just thought the other night people in the last two weeks and they've been feeling good and well and different things. I'm in my element here. I am in my element because I'm standing in the gospel again. And I know that's what people need. And that's what this congregation needs. We need the gospel. We just need the word. Let me close with this verse which I'll continue as I say next week, however, it tells us more than anything. Christ's prayer about his love for us. This is this this prayer coming near the end, it just epitomizes. Do you know what it's about? It's about his love for us. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus, as he prays that prayer, is obviously with the disciples in the garden or the upper room or somewhere in between. (coughs) However, the ultimate goal of Christ's prayer is that we know the Father's love. The greatest desire is that we will see Jesus Jesus' greatest desire is that we'll see him in all his glory in heaven. That we all whom believe and have been chosen will know, live only knowing Jesus the man but to see Christ in all his glory and not only that but to continue to live in that perpetual state. The glory we will see in Christ will you know when you go to heaven you see the glory of Christ do you know what i will radiate? How much the Father loved them and then how much the Father loved us. The glory we will see in Christ will show the Father's love for the Son. But as Christ prays, He'll also show His Father the Father's love for us. Jesus and His prayer wants and desires above all that we see the Father's love for us. And that the Father loved Him No greater reward for a sinner. No greater reward for a sinner than to see the full glory of the Father's love in the Son. To see the full glory of the Father's love in the Son. God sent His only begotten Son into the world to lead us to a place where we will continually, daily, constantly experience the glory of Christ. When you see Christ in all His glory, you think, And he died for me. (laughs) He gave up everything for me. And I'm seeing the glory of Christ continually in his presence. You see, Christ in all his glory will truly be beyond my feeble words. It's almost feeble as I try and explain this. To know the Father's love, to see Christ who gave up all, to, to see him as he truly is yet Yeah, he loves us. To see Christ in all his glory. You know, the disciples, they've seen him in the transfiguration. It was through a crevice. It was almost nothing. At the transfiguration, they've seen him part. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, as as one in Christ, we will behold his full glory. wipe away every tear. You don't know of any tear. Are you kidding Every sin, every bit of old shame, every wound, every flaw, everything we ever possessed that was ungodly, gone, evaporated in the presence of the ancient days. John said, didn't he, right at the start, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of truth and grace, and in that moment, in John 1, 14, Jesus, John's talking there about what it was like to walk with the Son of Man. But no, they, they beheld the work in their glory. They, they beheld the God-man. That's not going to be the same as what we behold when we're in heaven. You're going to see the fullness of his glory. John and the disciples seen glimpses of Christ's glory. But Christ prays and it will come to pass that we will stand in the presence of the fullness of his glory. Paul again reminding the church in Corinth of the greatest thing of all. And I will close with this. 1 Corinthians 13. 11 to 13. This is what Paul is explaining to the church in Corinth. Totally overwhelmed I am at the moment with the power of Christ and our feeble life. Oh, but yet to be with one with my brothers and sisters in Christ in that prayer. Oh my goodness. This is what Paul writes. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I, I understood like a child and I thought like a child but when I became a man I put away childish things so now we see in the mirror dimly. But then face to face face to face in the glory of Christ. Now I know in part but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith hope love these three the greatest of these is Love Above all things, brothers and sisters in Christ, brethren, my dear beloved family. Above all things, the Father chose you and Christ died for you and is praying for you. That you will join him in the midst of his glory continually. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. All other things will matter not. In fact, the presence of the ancient of days is all that will matter. And we truly will behold the glory. Only them who is loved and called and set apart will ever be able to experience his glory. It's reserved for you who believe. It's reserved for my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's reserved for those whom Christ has chosen. Calvin simply explains Christ praying this. And short, he asks that the Father will lead them to the uninterrupted progress, to the full view of his glory. What a promise and what a saviour. Let us remember whose we are and the message of hope to the world that seems to be desperate for some other means to gain. And this is why we preach Christ's people and him crucified. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.